series we started last week just simply called Love Better. Many years ago, uh, when we lived in the wake of Hurricane Katrina, uh, that hurricane had blown through and destroyed a lot of things. It destroyed a church, several churches, but one church in particular, and they were relocating, and they were moving a lot of dirt around um, to get it off the property, prepare it. I needed some dirt in my yard, so I went over there to get a truckload of dirt. And uh, I don't know, you know if you know kind of how these things work, uh, I, I heard the, the word that you could go get dirt there, so I go to get some cheap dirt. I go over there, and um, they go, yeah, if you want some dirt, go stand over by that truck, you know. And, and when the guy comes out, you know, he'll take you in turn. There's about four other people there, so here the five of us are, total strangers, never met, leaning over the bed of this truck, waiting on dirt. It was very exciting. I mean, this is a incredible way to spend a Saturday. And um, about that time, this guy speeds up in a truck, and he pulls up, and he says, hey, the guy comes out that runs the dirt farm, whatever, and he says, hey, I'm here to get some dirt. And the guy said, well, he tells the same thing. You got to go stand over there. He goes, I'm not doing that. He said, this is my church. And I've been a member of this church for 45 years, and I'm not waiting on no line. I'm going to go talk to my pastor, and I'm going to skip the line and, I guess, get my own dirt. You know, whatever. I, his schedule's a little tight, I guess. Couldn't wait on dirt. And uh, he sped away. I mean, he backed it out and down the road, you know. And, and here five strangers are leaning over the bed of a truck, and, I, and I'm, I'm like this. And one guy says, that guy's been a part of a church for 45 years, and it hadn't done him a bit of good. <laughs> and all I could do is agree, and there's no way I was telling that guy I was a pastor. <laughs> no way. No way. I'm not. I was like, yeah, yeah. My dirt ready? You know, I ready to get out of here? You can, you can be a part of a church for 45 years and not be spiritually mature. Which just begs the question, what does it mean to be spiritually mature? Well, in this series, we've been asking that question and we've been stating this, and I'm going to state it every week of this series. Love is the greatest definition of spiritual maturity. Now, this isn't a, a marriage series or a couple series. Uh, this, this series isn't about romantic love. It's about all love. And uh, every relationship that you have requires love to flourish. And so what we've been talking about is how could we love better? And so before we jump back into that, let's talk for a minute about what love is not. Our culture defines love as an emotional response. It's an emotional response when someone makes us feel good. In other words, you make me feel good, therefore I must love you. And that's how our culture tends to define love. It's an emotional response to something that someone else did to make us feel good. But that definition wouldn't stand up in the New Testament. Uh, so let me give you a definition we're working off of in this series. Love is not a feeling. It's mercy in action. So what that means is, is that you can actually love someone when you don't feel it. Man, that should be good news for every couple in here. Because <laughs> there's days you don't feel it. 
But you don't have, feeling it's not a requirement. Thank God. That should free some people. You can love your kids when you don't feel it. And let's be honest, if you've ever gone through, you know, purgatory, which is otherwise known as adolescence, <laughs> with your kids, there are days you don't feel it. And by the way, if you are a teenager or a young adult, there are days you are not going to feel like loving your parents. You don't feel it, but you still can because love is mercy in action. Now, every week I'm just highlighting a different, different passage to show us that the New Testament actually teaches that love really is the highest definition of spiritual maturity. Today I want to look at 1 Corinthians 13, and I want to look at it because I think it's one of the most misunderstood passages in the Bible. Uh, if you've been to a wedding, you've probably heard these verses read. Um, I want to give you a little bit of background before we read it, but... We read it in a wedding. It's not a bad wedding text. It's a good wedding text. But we read it in that, in that environment, and we really kind of take it out of its natural context. So let me give you its context, and then we'll read it together, okay? Uh, so uh, Paul the Apostle wrote a letter, uh, this letter called 1 Corinthians, to a church in a city called Corinth. Corinth was an urban center. It was a port city. Uh, there were people from all over the world, from Egypt, Asia, Europe, uh, there were Greeks, there were Jews. It was the wealthiest city in Greece. It was the hub of business. It was said that Corinth was sex-obsessed, money-obsessed, uh, success-obsessed. So this is kind of like um, our, the modern-day Las Vegas. I mean, everybody's coming there to, you know, to get something. And right in the middle of that city, uh, this giant city, God birthed a church. Now, this wasn't just like any other ordinary church. It's not like this is where all the upstanding, you know, clean, happy little church people went. These are not third-generation Christians. All of them, if not all of them, nearly all of them were first-generation Christians. They had no Christian history. And actually, earlier in the letter in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul describes the history of many of the people in the church, and he says it like this. He says, uh, remember what some of you were. You were sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers. That's a great way to talk to a church, isn't it? This is what some of you were before you came to Jesus. So this church is a very eclectic mix. Uh, it's a very diverse church. It's a very smart and talented church. It's a, in many ways a successful church and a gifted church. It has fire and it has zeal and the gifts of the Spirit are flowing. There are prophecies and there are messages in tongues and there are dreams and there's visions and there's powerful, powerful services that the people are having and lives are being changed and the church is experiencing rapid growth. Here's the thing though. The church was messed up. <laughs> it had all of the markings that we would consider to be, wow, that church, is, that church is on the right track. But the relationships in the church were bad. The people were divided. They were jealous. They were fighting. They were prideful. There was deep conflict. They had relationship problems. And so 1 Corinthians 13 is not a chapter written about uh, 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 trying to inspire us on what love is. 
1 Corinthians 13 is actually a rebuke to an unloving and an immature church. That's what it is. So let's read it together now and see if we don't read it differently, okay? Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of angels, of men, I'm sorry, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Paul the apostle dropped a bomb on this church. They're saying, we're growing. People are getting saved. We have the gifts of the Spirit flowing everywhere, bouncing off the walls. These are dynamic and talented and gifted. These are movers and shakers. And they're saying, man, we're on the right track. And Paul sends them uh, this letter, and right in the middle of the letter in chapter 13, he drops a bomb on them. And he says, listen, you might speak 10 different languages, and God might use those languages to reach people for Christ all over the world. You might speak in the tongues of angels, but if you don't have love, you have nothing. That's the key word of this passage, nothing. You might have insight into Scripture. You might have all, be able to fathom all mysteries and have all knowledge. But if you have love, he says, you have nothing. You may have faith to move mountains. You, the, a sick person may come to you in, for prayer, and you may pray for them, and boom, the mountains moved, and they're healed. Someone who doesn't have a job, no provision, may come to you and you pray for them and man, the mountains moved and the job opens. Someone may come to you with a heart of bitterness or hatred and you pray for them and man, freedom fills that person's heart. But he says, it doesn't matter. If you don't have love, you have nothing. You may sell everything you have and give it to the poor. You may become poor. By selling everything you own and give it to the poor, but if you don't have love, you have nothing. He even says, you might suffer in your body. You might be able to explain to people one day, this is what it cost me. This is what I gave up. This is what I endured for Jesus. And you know what? 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, it means nothing. So if you look at the externals, you might be a good person. You might have integrity. You might be honest. You might be doing good work. You may actually be helping people. But Paul the Apostle's dropping this bomb on them and on us, and he's saying, but if you don't have love, if love is not the motive for it, and if love isn't flowing from it, you have nothing. Jesus also teaches the same idea. Matthew 7, 22, listen to this. He says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. So you've got a person who's prophesying, who's driving out demons, who's performing miracles. And Jesus says, you know what it means without love? Nothing. That's what it means. Jesus will not accept prophecy, power, miracles, signs, wonders, dreams, gifts, knowledge, faith, generosity, sacrifice, or good works as the ultimate sign of spiritual maturity. He will only accept one sign. It is the infallible 
sign, the absolute proof of Jesus' work in your heart that you have become so transformed by the love of God that it has made you a loving person. That's the only, that's the greatest sign, and it's the only sign that matters. So, what are some signs that you're unloving? What do you look for? Here's what you look for. By the way, I know the easiest thing to do when you hear this series is think of other people. (laughs) Oh, I know a guy just like that. He's terrible. What's more helpful is that you use it to evaluate yourself. Right? So what are some signs that you're unloving? You're irritable, proud, offended easily, jealous, envious, touchy, self-absorbed, entitled, always looking for the worst, triggered, judgmental, critical, pushy, manipulative. Those are all relational things. It's the way we relate to each other sometimes. It's the way the Corinthian church related to each other. What are some signs that you're loving? You know what's amazing? This is where 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 and following, this is what Paul wrote right after what I just read you. And I'm going to pull directly from that. Here's signs you're loving. You're patient. You're kind. You do not envy. You do not boast. You are not proud. You do not dishonor others. You are not self-seeking. You are not easily angered. You don't keep a record of wrong. You do not delight in evil. You rejoice in the truth. You always protect. You always trust. You always hope. You always persevere. And you always choose love because you believe in the end love never fails. Man, that is a beautiful, that is a beautiful list. In other words, you're a safe person. Being close to you is like being close to Jesus. Man, wouldn't that be amazing for all of us? You're a safe person for people to be around. They don't have to worry about are they going to get, you know, manipulated somehow or maneuvered or, you know, you're, they're, they're somehow using, you're somehow using them to get things done. That you're, you're safe. So in this series, we're calling love better. If I were to say to you, do you think that your relationships would be better if you learned how to love better or if you loved better? Like, I think everybody would say yes, right? But if I were to ask you, great, how, how can you do that? Most of would say, I, 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 be less selfish. Like, you know, I don't know. I don't know, how do I do that? So in this series, what I've wanted to do is I've wanted to um, give you not just the scriptural teaching that love is the highest form of spiritual maturity, but to actually give you skills that you can learn to sustain that change in your life because most of us learn some relational things in our family of origin that actually hold us back. And we have to unlearn them and relearn Because as a part of the body of Christ, when you enter the family of Jesus, you enter into a new family and a new community and a new culture with new relationships. And God has a plan for your relationships. And is that they flourish. It's that they're healthy and they flourish. 
But in order that, for that to happen, we've got to leave some of those old, old habits behind, and we've got to take on new, new ways of relating to people. And so I, I want to say I'm incredibly grateful uh, to Pete Scazzaro uh, and his wife who wrote the book Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. I, I'm drawing heavily from their work. They spent 30 years trying to figure out how is it we help people become deeper disciples of Jesus and a, a lot of this series is resting on the work that they've done. Uh, I've said to you as a church, if you're new, maybe you've never heard me say this, but I've said to our church since COVID, we cannot go back to what we were before COVID. We've got to go deeper. And this series is one of those attempts for us to go deeper and what better place than in love, <laughs> right? So, let me give you the skill that I gave last week in case you missed it. Skill number one, receive God's love. Why is it important um, if we want to learn to love better that we start by receiving God's love? Because you cannot give what you do not have. Like you don't have the, re you don't have the internal resources to love your spouse, your children, your friends, your church community, um, the, un, the, the lost community, you don't have the internal resources to love better if you're not receiving love. The Bible says God is love. He's the source. He's the model. He's the plan. He's the whole thing. And so if I'm not interacting, if I don't have a pattern in my life of interacting with God in such a way that I'm receiving his love for me as a son or daughter of God, I'm not going to have the resources inside. I'm not going to I'm not gonna have the ability. You cannot give what you do not have. And so if you're not receiving, you, you can't give. So here's skill number two. Treat people as you, not as it. Treat people as you, not as it. Um, when you treat per a person like an it, you sort of treat them like an object, like they're a means to an end. And by the way, I wanna say, I think that's probably the most common way that, that people are treated in our culture because our culture is a consumeristic culture. So we view people, we think of ourselves as consumers and therefore we view people as a means to an end. Their role is to provide goods and services to us and our job is to consume, consume them so a person becomes a vehicle uh, and an it by which their role is delivered. You, you bring that into marriage, you bring that into parenting, you bring that into relationships and man, it, it, you're not going to have a good relationship because you've, you view a person as an it. So their purpose is to be an extension of your plans and your goals and your dreams. And you don't think the person has very much value as an individual. They're just here to serve your purposes. That's how you think about a person as an it. But if you're going to learn to love better, you're going to have to transition the way that you think about people, all people, not as an it, but as a you. Now, what does that look like? Uh, when you think of a person as a you, you think of them as a unique creation of God, um, created in the image of God. They are, they are, whether they're lost or saved, they're still part of the original creation of God. And, and they have inherent value for that reason alone. So, you approach them without an agenda. You make yourself available to them. You seek to understand them. And it's deeply important, it's a deeply important relationship skill to help you love better. Now, I want to give you an example of how I treated a person as an it once so that you, so it, maybe it helps to see it. Um, 
years ago we were traveling and uh, I jumped, you know, I, we were trying to get out of town. Everything was chaotic. We whip in a gas. Of course, you know, you're always out of gas, right? You're always out of gas when you're trying to get out of town. So we're like, oh, we're out of gas. All right, let me jump in this gas station. And I jump in the gas station. I go to pay for the gas. And this young lady uh, behind the counter is crying. And uh, I said, you know, are, you know, are you okay? And she said, um, I, I lost my baby this morning. And I, I was so caught off guard, I, I just looked at her and I said, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. And uh, here's my card. It's time to get gas and I got to go. So I got my gas and I left. And in that moment, I treated her as an it, not as a you. Because here was a living person in front of me who was created in the image of God, who had one of the greatest tragedies that a person could have, and came to work anyway. And as I drove up the road, it started to sit in on me, and I said, God, please forgive me. That, was, that lady was one of your unique creations. There'll never be another lady on earth like her. And I just ignored her and I treated her as an it. I treated her as a person who was there to give me what I came to get that I had nothing to give her. Now, that was 25 years ago. And I haven't forgot it. It still breaks my heart. And it's embarrassing to say that. But I wanted to say it because I think it's important for us to see what it looks like to treat a person as an it. Now, if for nobody else's benefit, maybe for my own, can I tell you a story where I saw somebody as a you <laughs> to make me feel better? Um, a few years ago when our school was closing and there was a lot of conflict going on, we got in a meeting with a small group of parents and teachers and it was very intense and there were people that needed to say a lot of things. And in the middle of that meeting, someone spoke up and said, um, Man, some of these people around here, whatever, causing trouble, man, they, they are, they are uh, they're a cancer. And I said, whoa, I'm just not comfortable with us talking about people as a cancer because these are people created in the image of God and they have value <laughs> as people because they're God's creation. We can't, call, we can't call people cancers. They're humans. They're people. We may disagree, but we can't call them cancer. We can't, I'm not comfortable with that. I don't, I, don't, I don't want us to do that. So everyone at some point in their life has treated somebody like an it. But if you want to learn to love better, you first have to recognize the times that you do it and have done it and then you have to shift your thinking and say, no, I can't do that. I have to treat a person as a you. So this morning, I want to give you three questions that you can ask yourself to help you make this shift from it to you. If you are going to have an encounter or, an, or you're going to engage with somebody or maybe you're just you know, in the middle of engaging with somebody, 
These are three questions you can ask that will help you discern this. Number one, am I fully present or distracted? Unfortunately, we live in a time uh, in, in brokenness of relationships and brokenness of family that there are people, and I am certain there are people in our church and watching online now, that the only place that you have experienced someone being fully present with you is when you sit with a therapist. And that's unfortunate because it is, um, it is one of the key elements of building a good relationship with anybody is you have to be fully present. So here's what it means to be fully present. It means to accept someone on their terms with no, they don't have to meet any criteria in order for you to be present with them. You can just be present with them. If it's, if it's your husband or your wife or your child, you can sit with them and require nothing from them, have no pre-requirements. You can just be fully present with them. Research says that our ability to have face-to-face -face conversations and to connect emotionally with people has dramatically decreased in our country in the last 15 to 20 years. So when that breaks down, we tend to treat people like it's, not like you's. And so we, we have to learn how to be fully present. Now, because of the pace of our times, that's a challenge. Because of technology, that's a challenge. Most of the time, most people engage with other people distracted. We have a hundred things on our mind. We have a lot going on. We're either thinking about what we're going to say next or what we got to do next or how quick we can end this conversation so we can get to our next thing. And being fully present is not something that we're good at as a people and it's not something that we experience very much. But being, being fully present is one of the things that you and I have to learn in order to love better. Here's the second question. Am I judgmental or accepting? Do you know there's a lot of uh, uh, multiple studies that have said that um, the, the number one opinion of non-church people, of church people, is that church people are judgmental. That's what the research says. Now, that may not be entirely fair. It may not be entirely true. But it, it doesn't come from nowhere. <laughs> I mean, the perception is at least real whether everybody's experienced it or not. So we've kind of got to come to terms with this idea as people. We judge our spouses for being different than us. We judge our friends when their politics are different than ours. We judge our adult children for the choices that they make. We judge our coworkers for doing their jobs differently than we do. We judge people from other religions. We judge atheists. We judge agnostics for not following Jesus. We judge sometimes people who are older than us or younger than us from a different generation because they make different choices than we do. We judge people who are from different social classes and different ethnicities and have a different appearance, have different education. We judge people for how they dress, for the cars they drive, for the music they listen to. And so I think one of the things that we have to do in order to love better is to first acknowledge that it's not them, it's not they, it's, it's us. All of us as human beings have the temptation to judge other people. And, you know, and, you know, and I think we could be really honest about one thing. It's not easy to engage with a person who's different than you. 
It's not easy. I mean, I don't know why we can't just admit that and say, you know what, it actually is hard. It's hard to engage with someone from a different language, from a different background, from a different history. From a different, they have a different way of life. They have a different philosophy. It's not easy. It requires something from you to do that. And so if we could just admit that, that we, we have the ability, we have the potential to be judgmental, and we're actually tempted to do it. I think that's the first sign that we can begin to turn the corner and actually start to love better and actually start to accept people. Differences require a lot of acceptance and, and that's the path where we can learn and grow how to love better, to fully accept people that are different. I think one of the, uh, for those of you who are married or have been married, I think one of the huge revelations that marriage gives you is you can't fathom that there's a human on earth that actually thinks and is so much different than you are. And those differences did not show up when you were dating. Right? Oh we're, oh, we're just alike. Aren't we a cute couple? We're all alike. We're just alike. Oh, you have so much in common. Oh, you look so much alike. Don't you? Cute. It's all good. And then about five years later, it's like, who are you? Why don't you like any of the food that I like? Why don't you want to go anywhere that I want to go? Why don't you like any of the hobbies that I like? Why don't you like the TV shows that I like? Why are you so different? And, and marriage becomes a wonderful vehicle to learn how to love. Because we're not good at it. We're not born good at it. And you really have to engage someone and learn how to accept someone really different than you. So the question is, are you judgmental or accepting? Here's the, here's the theology. Only God, who has unlimited knowledge, has the wisdom and the right to judge anybody. Only God. Right? It's not our job to judge. It's our job to love and accept each person as a unique creation of God. It's not our job to fix people. You'll find your joy will double if you stop trying to fix people. It's not our job to fix anybody. That creates some kind of judgment. It's because when you try to fix someone, you treat them as an it. You treat them as a project. You treat them as something that needs to be worked on. But when you say, I'm not, I'm not here to fix you, I'm here to be fully present with you and to accept you as you are. Wow. Isn't that how God took you in? As you are. And didn't that make a big difference? And that's what we're called to do, is to reflect the love that God's given us. So it's our job to be present and to accept and try to understand. And when we do that, we treat a person like a you. Here's the last one. Am I open or closed to being changed? This one's so necessary because what happens oftentimes when relationships break down, friendship, parent-child, marriage, church relationships, whatever it is, relationships break down because two sides become entrenched in their opinion or their philosophy or their way of thinking, and they are not open to change at all. And when you have that, I mean, that's where divorces come from. I will not. I will not. Not only will I not change, I'm not even open to talking about it. 
That's where problems come from. That's where conflicts come from. That's where division comes from. And by the way, it's where our country is, and we will see it over and over and over in an election year. Let me tell you this. You're going to see more people treated like an it. People are going to be treated like an it, not like a you. And so I I, want to encourage you as your pastor, and I want to state as your pastor what my intention is. I think every believer should vote. But I can tell you this, I will not participate in treating people like an it. I'm not going to villainize and dehumanize a creation of God. Because I don't care what your politics are, the Bible says you are created in the image of God and therefore ought to have dignity and respect and acceptance as a human being given to you by the body of Christ. And so my strong encouragement to you in an election year, don't get sucked in to the culture of consumerism and treating people like it's. Because here's what will happen. You will wreck your testimony. And the election will be over. And you know what people will be saying? That's how those church people are. And you know what they ought to be saying? They ought to be saying what Jesus said. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, that you love each other. So I'm, I'm, I'm strongly encouraging you. Don't, don't degenerate. Let this message of love sink into your heart way past when this series happens, deep into the year. So here's the question. Are you open or closed to change? Are you open to see from someone else's point of view? Are you open to try to see life differently than you see it? If not, you're treating people as an it. See, the very foundation of dialogue, we're not having a dialogue unless I'm open to change. We're just having a monologue. And can I tell you, we're having a lot of monologues. Our culture's filled with monologues, just talking and talking and talking and talking, and here's the way it is, and here's the new thing, and here's the latest outrage, and here's what we're upset at. And you bring that into your relationships, it is toxic to relationships. It will break your relationships. It will wreck them. But the kingdom of God is built on relationships. It flows along the lines of relationship. So what am I saying? Am I saying that we should be open as God's people to uh, change change our belief about what the Bible says or change our belief that whether God's real or not? No, absolutely not. I've, I've staked my life on the fact that the Bible's true and God's right. <laughs> I'm not saying that. What I am saying is, is that we should be open to hear God's truth wherever we find it. Do you know non-Christians are actually able, are actually capable of speaking God's truth? And they're actually capable of speaking some of God's truth that you and I might not even know. You know why? Because they are unique creations of God and may have learned that truth somewhere. All truth is God's truth and we need to be open to it wherever we find it. Now we have to confirm it. We don't just accept it. But we have to be open to change. So we're called to love and to accept and be fully present. And if you're going to grow in love, if you're going to love better, you've got to shift and you've got to push 
And you've got to resist the culture that draws us back into treating, treating people like an it. And you've got to try to treat them like a you. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm so glad you were here today. Um, I believe God is using this series to deepen us in his love. Lord, I thank you today that your word says that God is love. You are love. You are the model. You are the picture. You are the vision. You are the example. You are the source. You are the resource. And so I thank you today that you are fashioning us and shaping us into your image. Lord, as we lift our voices and our hearts up to you, let your love drip into our hearts that we might become more like you. In Jesus' name.